This is a full The Now Media production. Hello and welcome to Grundy's Grumbles. We have stormed along on our radio journey and now it, we've reached episode 18, entitled Reading 107, The Launch and Onwards. We left off last time as we geared up for the big launch on the 22nd of October 2002. By then, all the staff were on board and the clock was counting down. On any radio station, this is always a nervy time. But I think it's fair to say, amongst all the staff, there was a feeling of confidence, really. We knew if we did it right, we're collectively going to alter the radio map of Reading forever, really, and give all the radio competition a real run for their money. By this time, we had test transmissions going out 24 hours a day via the transmitter at Tilehurst. The signal was very solid. Then, as I've told you before in a previous episode, suddenly we were shaken by the fact that we had a robbery at the transmitter site and equipment was taken. Everybody was shocked. Warren Lee reminded me recently that I immediately called a staff meeting to rally the troops and tell them we would not be deterred and we would be back on air within 24 hours. And we were internally at board level, as I think I've also told you, it caused quite a stir, but we managed. We put in overnight security with a security guard and a dog every night from the time of that robbery. I firmly believe that whoever it was who was responsible would try again. And to be honest, all our publicity was telling them when we were launching and at what time. And if you really wanted to hurt us, that would be the time. But anyway, after the theft, it was getting on with the business. There was so much to do. I do remember the afternoon before the launch, I got everybody together an impromptu staff meeting. I didn't have too many staff meetings, but I told them, I said, you as a group of people are some of the best people I've ever worked in with, in radio. And I want you to know that when you launch tomorrow, this whole episode here, you'll never, ever forget this in the rest of your life. And you will go on to other things in radio. I'm absolutely sure of that. But you'll never forget these moments. And what I want you to do is from eight o'clock tomorrow morning, sort of go out there and enjoy it. Give people the joy of what you've got to offer. I didn't say too much more, but to be honest, what we were talking about was getting all our output to be the best that was available. The studios and the location, big tick in the box. The transmitter and security, big tick in the box. Our traffic and travel linking with Reading Borough Council and Traffic Master to give us average speeds rapidly showing the updates on trouble spots, big tick in the box. The strap line we were using was the best music. And if you say that, you just have to be. Big tick in the box. The Royals coverage, home and away, live games, live commentary. Big tick in the box. Our overall speed of movement and launch campaign outshone everybody. Big tick in the box. And for the launch day, we booked the Jazz Cafe right next door to these at the stadium radio studios for our launch party. 200 people would be there for a champagne breakfast. The board, MPs, the mayor, top councillors, and of course, our staff who were standing by ready to start the station tours once we launched. The countdown music would take us to the 8 a.m. start. I was scheduled to do a short, short speech there. As I drove in that morning, very early on, full of hope and excitement, I honestly 
wasn't prepared for the phone call I got. I got the call from the engineers who I'd asked to be at the transmitter as the overnight security came off duty. They've tried again overnight, said Ian Hickling. I felt sick, to be honest. What, what happened, I said. They came in, tooled up, and the security guard and the dog ran after them and sent them away. So there it was, whoever it was, had come on launch morning to take us off air after we had spent thousands of pounds on the launch campaign and getting everybody primed for the launch. I must admit I was, I was rattled, but I decided that I wouldn't tell anybody till we got on air. We had enough to occupy our minds. I had to do a speech and I did it kind of on autopilot, but it all seemed to go really well. People were really complimentary and a great reaction to everything we did on air that day and onwards. I remember the first record Tim played on that day from a poll chosen by the listeners was listen to the music from the Doobie Brothers. That will live with me for a very long time. TV crews were in the studios <clears throat> as we did the conducted tours. I felt very proud of my brother Tim for fronting this because there's a lot of pressure at a time like that. It was, as you can quite imagine, emotional to say the least. We got a lot of praise. I got individual letters from board members saying how delighted they were with the sound of the station. Very soon, we we're doing our first Reading FC live 90-minute uh, coverage of their games. We did it home and away. We had Andy West from Reading FC as much commentator. Our own Ben Rice as co-commentator. And very often, Brendan Rogers, at that time just running the academy at Reading, adding his comments. It sounded when we did it as if we'd been doing it for a long time. I very often came to the home games and sat alongside them to watch the game and listen in. BBC local radio, Radio Berkshire, have been doing similar live broadcasts for some time. But immediately we had listeners switching, saying we preferred, we, they preferred our coverage. That's quite a compliment, really. Alan Pardew was the manager of Reading, and he always made himself available for interviews as did the players. The breakfast show was having a real major impact. People really liked the depth and style also of our local news output. Every morning, Monday to Friday, Andy Murrell, the editor, or Hilary Scott, his deputy, did a live piece in the show to promote the stories that the paper would be carrying that day. On one occasion, Andy mentioned the sad story of a young lad who was heartbroken when thieves stole his treasured bike. Before the end of the programme, listeners had, with Ben and Tim getting after the story, donated a new bike to the delight of the lad. Now that makes good radio, in my opinion. Tim and Ben always sounded as if they were having great fun. They developed a special relationship. Tim always had to have the last word. That's the way they worked it. Ben was always the underdog, but listeners desperately wanted him to win just once. And occasionally they engineered it, so he did. And the listeners loved it. Tim would have a real go at councillors, MPs, anybody who he thought wasn't doing their job properly for Reading. I remember one day ringing Tim and saying, Tim, there are two burnt out cars on the side of the A33. They've been there the last two days. Have a go. Tim loved these kind of situations. So within two minutes, he opens the mic and he says, if it's your job, in Reading Borough Council to remove abandoned or burnt out vehicles, 
there are two cars, and he specified the makes, that have been burnt out and left on the side of A33, the main road from the M4 into Reading. What sort of image does that create for Reading? Sort it out, he said. I can hear his words now. Trust me, within two hours, they had both been removed. Apparently, all the top council people listened in in case they were taken to task. We didn't always have a go. We're often praising them. So there was a, it was the right balance, I think. Every day, though, was a new adventure. The team spirit was terrific. From my point of view, as MD, it was management by walking around. Very often, groups were in fits of laughter, enjoying what they're actually doing. The idea was to say to staff, try things. Don't fear failure. Just go again. Be creative. We didn't need to refer to head office. We just got on and did it. We were the head office. Very often we teamed up on initiatives with the Evening Post. That was the case with the Dress Down Friday, Bring a Pound to Work Day we did for Macmillan. I'd met Polly Simonson, Polly Simonson, I think she pronounced it. Uh, she was the Macmillan PR lady. I met her at a local Macmillan meeting and we hatched the plot. So between us and the Evening Post, we mentioned all the companies, so they got publicity, who allowed their employees to come dressing down as long as they brought a pound to work in. And there was about a hundred of them. And we decided that we would go around using the stretch limos of one of our advertisers to collect the monies. Great publicity for them, which just added to the on-air event. All went well. And at one stage, the mayor of Reading at that time came back in a limo to drop off some of the cash they collected, which Polly and her team were counting in our boardroom. We interviewed the mayor live on air at that time. With live interviews, you never quite know what people are gonna say. He said in the first place, and he was called Richard Stainforth. The mayor said, what a great event it was. Good. The reporter then says, and how about being transported around in these big stretch limos? The mayor says, well, I hate them. I think they're ugly and should be banned from the roads. Now, I was standing about three feet away from him and my first instinct was to knock him out. <laughs> Very quickly, the interview finished. So we were no longer live. I said, what the hell were you thinking of? That was a major advertiser you have just insulted. He started to say, Oh, well, I said, oh, well, nothing. Do not ever do anything like that again on this radio station. He got the message. Not unnaturally, I had to take a call from the client, Mark Goggins, asking for an apology. He got one. Never a dull moment, even on a good day. Another major event that first year was the coverage of the annual Reading Half Marathon. It had become a very big event. This was April 2003. And the start and finish was to be at the Rivermead Sports Centre. And as a keen runner, I'd run for many years. And always on the day of the half marathon, there was chaos in Reading. There was on that day. It was a big event for us to cover, though. And it was our first year on a limited budget. Having said that, a whole load of 107 staff volunteered to help out. We also had a 107 team running. I was one of them collecting cash in buckets from the crowds for local charities. Trust me. Running a half marathon is no easy task, but running whilst carrying buckets of cash is something quite different.
difference. We got Tom the taxi in the 107 rat taxi to follow us and pick off the cash from time to time to lessen the weight. The team all ran in Reading FC uh, shirts with the number 107 on the back. We all got round and technically, with the goodwill, hard work and ability of the staff, we created a great outside broadcast event. And we won many new listeners from that publicity. Well, to tell you the complete story about the Reading Half Marathon, I need to nudge it forward a little bit. First of all, there was the event. I was by then on the Reading Half Marathon Committee and they had a big major debrief meeting after the Rivermead event. The big topic was the number of complaints from just about everybody they had had. The police, the council, the runners, buses, everybody was having a go. The committee all kind of looked at me as one. I don't know if it was pre-planned, but they said, Tony, John Medeski is your chairman. We need the start and finish to be at the Medeski. Can you fix it? No pressure there then. I said, okay, to them. I said, I can see from a runner's and spectator's point of view, it would be magnificent. But I have no idea what Reading FC will say. Leave it with me, I'll have a go. So I call a meeting at the club via the chairman. Everybody turns out, stadium manager, builders, security, everybody. It was a bit tense. There was just little me there, to say the least. Anyway, I said the committee had asked me to ask them about having the start and finish at the stadium. Glum faces. One person said, well, we really never thought about it. I said, look, the date April 2004 for the next one would obviously have to take into account Reading FC's fixtures and avoid that. But apart from that, what would actually prevent you from doing it? I made the point that there would be thousands of people coming to the stadium for the first, possibly for the first time, but nothing, no connection with the football club before. And they'd spend money there. They'd been there for many hours. They said, well, the objection would be the cost of putting it on. So I said, well, how much? They said they would need £20,000 to pay the stewards, security, police, etc. So I said, so if the committee paid you £20,000 in advance, you'd then do it? In a way, they'd box themselves into a corner. So I took that message back to the committee. They were ecstatic. I applied one condition to them. I said, Reading 107 has to have exclusive radio broadcast rights for commercial and BBC local rate rights around and in the stadium on the day. So history was changed at that moment. And as a runner, I felt very pleased with my efforts, as it's still the case that the start and finishes at the Medeski Stadium. So we changed history. So let's just fast forward to the early morning of that day in 2004. I was driving into the event. I'm always driving in at these big occasions, aren't I? I was driving in to meet the Reading 107 team before running in the actual event. I got a call from our studios. They said, are you listening to Radio Berkshire? And I said, well, no. They said Radio Berkshire are broadcasting live from outside the megastore and have just got an OB truck there and promotional people. I said, you are fucking joking, to use a polite term. I said, leave it with me. I was so angry. I drove to the front of the stadium. Yes, they were there, T-shirts on sale, promotional girls, the lot, broadcast vehicle with a big mast and loud as, loud as hell. I thought, you cheeky sods. So I went up to the first staff member person I met. 
I said, who is actually in charge here? She said, he's in there in the broadcast vehicle. I said, I want to speak to him now. Off they trotted rather nervously. Out comes this typical, full of his own importance, overpaid, well, that's my interpretation, BBC Pillock. That was definitely the case with headphones a lot. He says to me, who are you? I told him. He said, how can I help you? I said, we have exclusive broadcast rights here in the stadium and the surrounds. So I will give you exactly 10 minutes to clear the whole area. He said, we're broadcasting live. I said, I don't care. And if you don't start packing up immediately, I will get security, remove you forcibly. He said something like, this is outrageous. I ignored that and I stood there and I waited. What followed was one of my best moments in radio, to be honest. Slowly but surely, they packed up their stores. Oh, very sad. Everybody was looking daggers at me. The best moment was yet to come, though. The broadcast music stopped as they dismantled the speakers. Little by little, I watched the broadcast mast come down and down and down. What a brilliant moment. I waited till they had totally left the area. You can imagine the cheers I got when I went to the Reading 107 offices. A number of staff members at 107, Warren Lee and Robert Kenny, have recently mentioned the memory of that for them, a very, very funny moment. You have no particular ill will to radio competition. You, you just want to beat them. Radio Berkshire had, though, annoyed me and quite a few of our staff members when Red, Reading Borough Council thought it would be a good idea to have a gathering of radio people, Radio Berkshire 210, and the new boys, Reading 107. One or two of the Radio Berkshire staff, Andrew Peach in particular, were so arrogant and patronising. This was before we'd actually launched, and Peach, or Peachy, as he likes to be known on air, yuck, said to me, the radio market's so crowded, what makes you think you can get an audience in Reading? I said, well, in the first place, we know what we're doing. I said, can I ask you something now? What's that? Says Peachy, you work for the BBC and you get paid via the license fee. If we don't bring in enough money, we can't pay the monthly wages. With respect, you have no idea of the kind of pressures we work under. And your complacent and arrogant attitude makes me think we can do really well. On that memorable note, and I would expect GG fans to be giving me a round of applause at this point, I will bring this episode to a close. There's so much more to tell you about the adventures at 107. We have got off to a great start, but life is never that simple and straightforward, is it? You know that from past stories. I will tell you more next week. If you want to contribute with your own comments or your own stories, listen out for the contact details at the end of this podcast. I'll look forward to meeting up with you next week at a time and a place to suit you. See you later. Bye. Grundy Scrambles with Tony Grundy is a For The Now media production. If you would like to get in touch with Tony or have any radio stories of your own, email tony at forthenow.co.uk.